Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. He has a baseball night. The second night I'm there, Mrs. Bush, the nicest woman on the face of the earth, the greatest host hostess of all time. When we're leaving the White House the second time, Mrs. Bush looks at me and says, so good to see you again, Tony. <laughs> and then the president admonished his wife. It's him. It's not Tony. His name is Tim. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you can call me whatever you want. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Tim Kirkton enjoys his life. Yes. Tim Kirkton enjoys all of these stories and laughs hysterically. I love when he gets into that playoff voice. You know, you have the high-pitched voice. Yeah, so animated. Brilliant. So one of the things I like about the show is the sort of weird email that we get that the sort of small group of people hear one sentence and respond. This is from Joseph P. Tell Michael I'd love to hear about his high-hydration sourdough pizza. If he has a pizza peel and an uni, I am forever jealous. The uni's out of my price range. <laughs> I've only made Chicago deep dish and Detroit pizza. Had no luck with Neapolitan. Love the show. Thanks. No, so I normally what go is, with... What's um, an uni? So an uni is a... It used to just be an outdoor pizza oven that you could t- attach to a gas line. I think they now have an electric one. This is not me, uh, you know, trying to get them on as a sponsor, but... Uh, it was part of this, you know, you had the, the bread baking craze from a few years ago. Now you have these backyard pizza masters, although all the online forums are people saying, my pizza dough stuck to the peel. I can't get, I can't transfer my pizza. You have to make sure you flour your surface. Right. Uh, so no, I actually have been doing mostly, I found these old cake pans, these Wilton cake pans, and those are, you know, they probably have some chemical to them, but those have been pretty easy to get the, the kids' pizzas on and off. And it's more, it's like a focaccia style Roman uh to go piece. I just think that I never would have expected to hear. I'd love to hear about his high hydration sourdough. I start pizza. with about a hundred hundred grams of my uh, my fed starter, though I often forget to feed it for a few weeks or months at a time. I bring it back, <laughs> put it near vent. Uh, let me thank Rich Garcia in Oak Hill, Virginia, for a lovely note about Wendy Rieger. Wasn't um, it? With a attached with a little picture, and so we all think about Wendy. It's very very nice. Appreciate that. So uh, baseball opened yesterday. Um, and, and we were going to talk about it on the PTI show, Mike and I. Of course we were. And the Cubs played, and he cares about the Cubs more than any other team, and admonishes other people when they stop caring about the team they grew up with. He, he gets very proprietary about that. He's very angry at me that I don't love the Mets or the Yankees. And I told him I never was a Yankee fan. Yes. Never. I was a Mets fan, never a Yankee fan. But I live, I've lived for like almost 45 years in another city and I like the baseball team. This is unforgivable to him. Unforgivable. And on top of that, the team just arrived here. I mean, I mean, it wasn't like they were here when you got here. That's right. Yeah. So it's That's a, right. Yeah. In any case, um, we were going to talk about it on PTI, the first day of baseball, and what you wanted, what they want us to talk about and what we should be talking about is the impact of the rules, the new rules on baseball. So I get a note from Kelleher. I don't know. I guess the Yankees started at one, the same as the Nats. Yeah. Nats, Braves, Yankees, Pretty quick Giants. home run by Judge. And that's what he says. He says, Judge, first pitch, uh, and then corrected to first swing, not first pitch. And I write him back, and I say, I don't care. Because my team's on. It's opening day. This is the one day I'm not going to go around the dial. I'm going to watch my team come hell or high water. 
And hell, showed up very early. <laughs> I mean, Patrick Corbin picked up where he left off. No, I, di- I disagree with that. He got out of that first inning. I mean, I would have loved to see him get the first out. Uh, he had, he had uh, well, you're looking at me. They have no ch- the Braves are a World Series favorite. They have no chance in this season. Come I understand. The, the over-under is probably 42 on see. wins. Let me check that. Probably 42. And probably 50. 50? I'd take the under on 50. But I, I had just gotten through reading a column by Barry Zverluga in which he quoted Davey Martinez, the manager of the Nats, as saying, we need our starters to get 21 outs. And Barry was skeptical and said, good luck. Well, if you watch the ninth inning, I think you understand why. Corbin got nine outs. He only got nine outs. He threw 85 pitches and was out after one batter in the fourth inning, having thrown 85 pitches. Now, he got hurt by his shortstop, who made an error. So only, ultimately, two of the runs were earned, but only one when he was still out on the mound. felt like watching Trey Turner, who always throws a a couple away in the first week or two. Finnegan comes in late, and he's terrible. He gives up, gives up three yeah. in the ninth, in the top of the ninth. They're banging him around. Uh, the, the, I think Robles saved the ball, was going off the wall. You know, save that. So in any case, I'm watching the Nats You're already game. at midsummer level, you know, sort of depression here. Well, you know, I, I later see driving around town, I see an owner's car, and I wanted to stop and say, oh, could we – talk i see an owner's car the plate is uh, lay on a couple of horns i know what i know what the license plate is and it's an owner's car in any case um so i'm really pumped up for the fact that there's going to be a quicker game and i have in my head and we'll talk to mark feinstein about this later i have in my head that the the statistics that was the statistic that was released at the end of spring training said that we are down to two hours, 35 minutes average game time as opposed to last year in spring training now, in spring training. And then games that count are going to last a little bit longer than this because their decisions are different. But in spring training, it's three hours and one minute. So the 235 is in my head. I figure the game, I did not see the opening pitch. I mean, I got in there at about 10 after one. And it was in the top of the first. So you, and didn't, you didn't see the Ukrainian basketball I, throw a strike. And fabulous, right? Yeah. Man or woman? It was a woman throwing to Doolittle. She, she threw a strike? Yeah. <laughs> Doolittle, the Beltway Mitterrand, what, I thought he was ineligible to play. Something's never changed, Ed. Um, so anyway, <laughs> um, great. Anyway, so the number is 235 is in my head. So I do the quick calculation and I think, okay, so at 340, Optimally, at 340, this game is going to be over. And at 340, we're in the eighth. We had a game, the Nats game. And I say we because I watched that game. I didn't see you in uniform. No, I don't play for the team, but I root for the team. Although I do have some gear. I could have put it on to sit in my house and watch it. Yes. This game lasted 307. That may have been the longest game of the day, for all I know. Because other games were lasting two and a half. The Twins and the Royals, 233. The Tigers and the Rays, 214. The Giants and the Yankees, 233. The Nats and the Braves, 307. Now, why does it last that long? Well, at one point, you lose about five minutes because Max Fried comes out. The starter uh, gets hurt on a play and comes out, and you have to give a reliever all the time he needs to get ready because he's not ready at all. So that's going to add five minutes. There are five errors in the game. That adds a little bit of time. Five errors. If there's no errors in the game, those are outs. Uh, C.J. Abrams, that's his name, right? Yep. The shortstop made three errors in the first game. 
three. That's not so he's the worst not, fielder right. in the league right now, heading into game two. And there were also 20 or 21 hits. So there was stuff. Right. There was stuff on the field. I, I saw one or two stolen bases. I didn't see many. And by the way, the pitch clock never came into play. I don't remember one pitch clock violation. Now, I didn't watch intently because I'm preparing for the show. Right, not like not like watching Baltimore Red Sox or even the Mets where you saw How about what the happened Baltimore with McNeil catcher? and Alonzo. Yeah. How about the Baltimore catcher, five for five? Did you hear him speak on Masson after the game? No, was he great? Just so polite. Thank you for having me. We just had a five-fit day. Yeah. yeah. First opening day. So this was 3.07. Right. Yeah, so, we, and so late in the game, Liz and I were looking at the clock saying, we thought this would be faster. And it felt like the, it felt like the commercials weighed heavier on the clock. And I think a lot of that's just the 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 difference between Corbin working long pitch counts, Freed working quickly and getting efficient outs. Freed had thirty pitches through three. But it was, it was kind of cool to see, even in the first inning, Acuna gets on, and then all of a sudden he takes one big lead, two big leads, throws over a couple times. That's he turns, it. He turns back to his coach and goes, <laughs> "We good, right?" That's right. Yeah. So I mean, I'm going to like this. I just, I, I sort of felt I got stuck, you know. Like you're going through the pile of fruit and it's the last thing of fruit and it's yours and you have to have it and it's sort of sour. It's not the fruit you wanted. Yeah. Like, like why am I dealing with the game that's three minutes and seven seconds? Yeah. You know, three hours and seven minutes rather. Yeah. So, you know, and I didn't think it was too long because it's, again, what I said to Keller was it's opening day. I'm yeah, going different distance. And by the way, without the pitch clock, I would think that that would have been at least three and a half hours. You know, with all the everything. Yes, certainly. Yeah, so it's... It, certainly. Yeah, so for all the so stuff I'm, that went on... I think I'm good with the rules. What was your impression of it? Now, you had you had the boys watching. This, uh, this was the captain's first opening day, so yeah. I took him down, I set him up. It was really cool to, to be a D.C. kid, to have my kids up, right? being fans of the Nats. The boy, big boys came home. They want to go to a game, so I think we'll take them out of school at some point. Uh, no, it's, Yeah, what are they going to miss? French lessons? You know what? <laughs> Right. Yeah, we're we're very grateful for the supports that DCPS <laughs> offers our kids. Uh, no, to see to see the positioning, to see the shift, no more, and to see what that was doing for hits that should have been baby. quick outs. Yeah, uh, but then also to see action. So I didn't know if you watched the Phillies game, but to see back to back triples no. off of Degrom, who's just looking in just puzzlement as things are dribbling oh, so down were, the, right, the right field game? line. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't understand why the Giants would open at the Yankees. I mean, That's... I'm not an interleague. Guy, no, I, except in certain specific reasonable expectation games, like Nats O's, like Yankees Mets. Yes. You have White Sox Cubs, but you Yankees, know. Yankees Giants, it's not 1954. No, Rangers Phillies, what are you talking about? Yeah. Really? So. By the way, I have some numbers. Um, the average length of the 15 games was two hours and 45 minutes. That's very good. Stolen bases, teams went 21 for 23. Ooh. So that was 1.53 attempts per game, which is up from. 0.67 from last year. And the Nats projected win total. What did you say? I'm saying 42. 42. I had a 50. 59. Now that's still... 59 is crazy. That's still, no, if that's being offered, I'm going to take the under on <laughs> that's that. This could lowest. be the, uh, the impact of having fewer divisional games. You're going to get that West Coast team that's coming off of a big series. I hate that. I hate the fact that we're down from 19 division games to 12. Now, I'm doing a lot on baseball today, and people probably... You know what? What are your thoughts on Wainwright singing the uh, national anthem? I didn't see it. Was Adam Wainwright? Was it? Oh good? yeah, he's, apparently he's like a country singer. Really? Yeah. Good for him. Wow. What's really powerful is he was clearly nervous. He was nibbling a little bit. I uh, was trying to sort of hit his spots in the outside corner. Missed a few notes. Got saved with a couple of calls, <laughs> uh, but worth the count. 
<laughs> he's a, one of the. He's in his forties, right? Is yeah. he 40, 41 years old now? One of the oldest pitchers in the league. Last season, right? So we had that's well because Yadier Molina got out, and we thought Wainwright would get out. But he had a real good year, and he didn't get out. So we had Brian Gumble on the show yesterday, um, our old friend Brian Gumble, and we were talking a little bit about baseball, and it occurred to him, and it occurred to me, and it occurred to Mike. We're old men. We like baseball. People 30 and down, they have no use for baseball whatsoever, and that's why Theo Epstein was brought in to try and save it. I mean, honestly, to try and save the national pastime. So. Yeah. I will take a break. We will have Mark Feinstein on, but I think Chuck Culpepper is first. No, no, Feinstein is first. first. Okay, so we have Mark Feinstein when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast you're listening to the tony kornheiser show the tony kornheiser show This is a group called King Dream. I get this note, said the meaning to pass this along for ages. I'm a longtime fan, used to be based in The Hague in the Netherlands, now splitting my time between there and Michigan, though not Lake Orion. My nephew Jeremy is and has always been a fantastic musician, passionate about making his life's work. I was lucky enough to attend, his, attend a wedding to the lovely Caitlin, member of the indie famous band Rainbow Girls last year, and their rock star wedding made me feel astonishingly cool for one sweet evening that will hopefully last a lifetime. Jeremy plays under the name King Dream, which sometimes seems to be him and sometimes seems to be a band. These two songs are so California surf cool and catchy, I wanted to share them with you and the Littles. Though he's based in the West Coast, King Dream will be touring in Germany and the Czech Republic in April and May. I'm lucky enough to join his European fans. Uh, you can find him on Facebook, King Dream. This is called Wish I Could Call You Now. It's pretty good. Plays in Mark Feinstein. We'll have another song later in the show. And I mean, the, the, really the first and only question. I mean, it's really, you know, everything is going to be a variation on this theme for at least a month, which is, what's the early review of the new rules? I was saying you wouldn't have heard this, but at the top of the show before you came on, I said, I I got stuck in the one game that went 307, you you know, and and everything else seemed to be pretty good in the twos. So what are you thinking? I love it. 
And you know, three oh seven in the old days, meaning last year, yeah. would have been uh, would have been wow. That was a pretty crisp game. So you know, the fact that you got stuck in a three oh seven and it and it felt long tells you all you need to know. I think when we look at spring training this year and how used to it we got and and how used to it the players got as quickly as they did. I mean, they're down to less than by the end of the spring they were down to less than one violation per game. Yeah. So uh, you know, yesterday they were. 14 violations in 15 games. So right there, less than one per game. And, uh, you know, I think the fact that that we saw games average 245 on the first day of the season, uh, pretty impressive. Do you think, so this is the interesting question, these are real games now. And in the first day of the season, there's going to be a little bit of pressure, self-imposed, to play by the rules. But do you think that, say, by June 1st, that's going to take longer to play baseball, and the rules will be relaxed. No, I think this is the way it's going to be. The league is very serious about uh, these rules being enforced to their to the letter of the law, uh, you know, all season. And I don't see, and that includes the playoffs, because right? by then they're going to be used to playing these these rules. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think one thing we're seeing, especially with younger players, is the younger players who have been in the minor leagues recently have already had these rules, so these aren't new for them. Um, you know, for, for Jordan Walker, Anthony Volpe, these guys who are just coming up from the minors, they've been playing with these rules. So this is not a big deal. We, we talked about it a few weeks ago. The veterans are the ones who are going to be a little more, you know, Manny Machado saying he's going to start 0-1 a lot, and, you know, some of the pitchers having some issues with it. But everybody's adapting to them because they know they have to. Um, but I just think that, that, you know, it was interesting to me. I was flipping around a bunch of games yesterday, and very few of the broadcasts that I saw have the pitch clock on the on the screen so if you unless you're really alertly trying to pay attention to it uh, and seeking out you know the, the clock in the background or something you don't even realize it's happening it's not like it's impacting the way you watch a game other than the fact that the game's not going to take three and a half hours anymore i was you know i was trying to figure out why the nats took 307 i think there were 21 hits there were five errors, you know, that errors elongate the game. Max Fried came out with an injury, so you let a reliever come in. And I'm not saying that it seemed like it took forever. I'm saying, Mark, that it sort of surprised me that it went 3.07, you know, because I was, I was hoping for something quicker, but I, I didn't find it oppressive that it went 3.07. I, I could understand how it happened, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, again, sort of where we look at um, – you know our history of this of watching this game, and it was, it's, I don't think. Look, they want the time of game certainly to be lowered, but this was more about pace of play than time of game. Right. There still may be games that go three and a half hours with a pitch timer because there are, uh, you know, twenty eight runs scored and and forty hits, and we're going to have some of those games. But those are going to be fun, exciting games because if there's twenty eight runs scored, as long as you know one team isn't scoring twenty four of them. Uh, it's going to be, you know, an interesting game to watch. Whereas we were were watching games that were four to two, go three and a half or three forty five. That's not fun. That's a lot of pitchers stepping off the mound. That's a lot of hitters taking timeouts. That's a lot of, you know, a guy gets brushed back and he stands there and stares down the pitcher for ten seconds. Uh, You know, there's a lot of just dead time that was in these games. And the fact that 
you know, that they've found or they're, they're trying to find a way where you don't have that kind of dead time, right. I think that's going to make the game more entertaining. I, I've, I've seen plenty of four-hour Yankee Red Sox games that were really entertaining and didn't feel like four hours, but I've also seen many four-hour games that felt every bit of it. So we're all probably agreed that the pitch clock is going to go smoothly. I mean, you could see it. Like, the, the Nats game only put the pitch clock up in the last five seconds or something like that. And, and it, it was not intrusive on any level. So that leads me to the next question for a baseball writer. What's going what's gonna to be the rule with the most impact, do you think? What's going to be the change rule? I think ultimately the shift rule will probably have the most impact, not on everybody, but certainly on a select number of hitters who are going to uh, really benefit from it because everybody has to deal with the pitch timer, right? That, that's something that that's right. everybody has to deal with and everybody's going to be, uh, you know, get adapted to. The shift thing, there are some players that, that won't affect at all because they were not pull hitters to begin with and, uh, you know, the, nothing's really, you know, the guys who teams didn't shift upon really aren't going to be changed at all by that rule. A guy like Anthony Rizzo, who hammers the ball to the right side every single time, uh, I think he's going to benefit a lot. And instead of hitting 224 last year, maybe he hits 274. Um, because I think, uh, you know, when you don't have that extra defender, that's going to help. Now, I've seen some teams already late in spring training, I saw this. I don't remember, recall seeing it yesterday, but I'm sure it happened. Uh, some teams are now deploying their left fielder to play short right field. Yeah, we talked about uh, that on the show last week, that there was going to be an outfield shift. It was going to be legal. It is very, very dicey because if you get the ball to left field, it's a triple. Yeah, even if you're Anthony Rizzo. I mean, you yeah. know, if, you, if you are able to get that ball into left field, there is literally nobody there. That's, that's right. Uh, and you and cannot that, put the shortstop or the third baseman back because no, their feet have to be in the, the dirt. The third baseman have to stay on the dirt. Yep. So I think ultimately the shift rule will have the most impact on the people that it impacts. Um, and I think the bigger bases will also have an impact on the number of stolen bases we see around the game. Uh, you know, I think the, the combination of the only allowed two disengagements. From yes, the I agree. And, and the bigger bases. I think you're going to see a lot more stolen bases, but I think that's what Major League Baseball wants. And so if that's one of the results of this, I think they'll stand up there and clap. 21 out of 23 yesterday, right? That was, Nigel, that was the statistic? That's right. Statistic. Yes. 21 <laughs> out of 23. That's over 90% success rate, and it's a lot of stolen bases, right? Yeah, I, I don't know what the number was last year, but I would imagine that it was, uh, you know, that was probably on the high end. Uh, you know, you're thinking, what, 15 games, 23, so it's about one and a half stolen base attempts per game. Uh, still less than one per team. I mean, look, there are still going to be teams that don't believe in the stolen base and that don't, you know, don't set up their lineup and their roster filled with guys who are capable of stealing bases or they don't feel that the risk of getting thrown out is greater than the reward. But, you know, having, only having to go, what, 89 feet instead of 90 feet, maybe that's, uh, yeah. maybe that's something that gets them to, to think about it a little more. But I think for the guys who are uh, stolen base uh, capable, I think you will see more this year. And I, I think last year the leader had like 41 for the season. No, it's going to I be would, 70 or 80 this I would, year. I would bet it's going to be somewhere in that 60-70 range. That's what I think. So we'll leave it to Wilbon to come up with the rule change that he likes the most. He's ecstatic over the fact that replays have to be done in 15 seconds. It allows <laughs> him to blast the NFL because replays take so long. But is that 
I didn't even know there was such a rule. What's that rule? Uh, I'm going to have to call Wilbur on that. Right. I'm not sure I have the details on that. I haven't, I haven't dug into the new replay rules because I, I was never all that bothered by replay to begin with. Uh, yeah, there's a couple times where it goes a little long, but I think all want to get it right. That's that's my point. Yeah. I think ultimately, whether you're talking about baseball, football, basketball, whatever, get it right. If you're going to have the replay, then yeah. get it right. Because if you're going to utilize the technology and still get the call wrong, uh, yeah. that's a problem. And you know, I, I'm not sure. You know, basketball to me seems to be the one sport where the replays feel like they take forever. Yes, because you're watching these split second slow motion, and you still can't tell which guy's finger touched the ball last. Um, you know, baseball, I think most baseball rev- reviews, they're pretty black and white, right? I mean, the, the only really tough ones are, you know, the, the, the tag at, at the base. And the one rule that I dislike more than anything else is when they, uh, a, you know, a runner gets called out because when he popped up at second base, his foot disengaged yeah. with the bag for .1 second and, and the guy's glove was still on him because it's still the act of sliding, but... Uh, you know, the, it is what it is. But I, yeah, I don't, I don't have such a such an issue with any of the replay stuff we've gone through in baseball. Verlander hurt already. Yeah, apparently a new new pitch. Um, got a forearm strain, basically uh, the terrace major uh, strain, which is, uh, I guess, not good. But they, they, you know, Buck Walter said he would have pitched through it if it was the playoffs. Um, obviously, it's not the playoffs. It's you know, he was going to pitch game three. So I if he was a reliever, he wouldn't have pitched through it because Buck wouldn't have gone to him in the playoffs. <laughs> That's good. He wouldn't have done that. Yeah. I think, uh, <laughs> you know, he's probably going to miss two starts, maybe three. I mean, I don't know. But with a guy you're paying $43 million to at the age of 40, you're not going to take any chances with any kinds of forearm injuries at this point in the season. So, uh, you know, he felt something. There's something going on there. Uh, they haven't given a firm timetable, but they don't. They don't seem to think it's overly serious. But you know, it's the old. He's a forty-year-old pitcher, so I think any injury at this point is something to be concerned about. If I had to make one bet in baseball this year, going into the season, I would say that Aaron Judge will not hit as many as fifty home runs. I would have said that. Um, then he banged one out in his first at bat yesterday, and Cole looked great. What are your thoughts on that? And by the way, that was not a quote-unquote Yankee Stadium home run. That's right. Uh, that was dead center into Monument Park, 420 feet away, right. on a day where it was about 40 degrees. So uh, I think Aaron Judge still has the ability to hit a lot of home runs. I, I don't know that I would have bet on him to hit less than 50, but I certainly wouldn't have bet on him to repeat 62 right. again. Right. Uh, and obviously the expectations on him now with the gigantic contract, and he's the captain, and he's the face of the team, and arguably the face of baseball, at least you know on that Mount Rushmore of current players with with Shohei Otani and and uh, you know maybe Julio Rodriguez. I think there's a lot of pressure on him, but you know we saw him handle pressure last year. So to me, the only question about Aaron Judge is, are they going to keep pitching to him, and is the rest of the lineup going to be good enough to force other teams to keep pitching to him? Because if, I, if that guy comes up and I have nobody on base, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm intentionally walking him, but I'm certainly not giving him anything meaty to hit. I would rather uh, see him on first base than crossing the plate. Exactly. And so, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll pitch around him if you can, get him to try to, uh, you know, try to swing at something and, and make a mistake. But he doesn't do that very often. He walks a lot, too. So, um, yeah, I think he's up for another great year with the caveat of 
the only one there always is, as long as he stays healthy. Yeah. Uh, he's done it the last couple of years, and he seems to have figured out a way to stay on the field. So if he keeps doing that, he will be um, you know, a force to be reckoned with. Again, Cole looked great. Uh, he walked he the first batter on four pitches, and I could already start hearing the New York sports radio waves beginning of, <laughs> of I can't believe we paid this guy $36 million, and what a waste of money, and this is why Cashman should be fired, and blah, blah, blah. And then he struck out like eight of the next nine hitters and right. uh, looked fantastic. And, you know, the Yankees need him to be that guy because right now 60% of their starting rotation is on the injured list with Montas, who's probably out for most of the year, if not the whole year, and then Severino, who just went on the IL, and Rodon, who's going to be out at least a month. So the Yankees need to, to feel that when Cole takes them out, if nothing else, they're going to win that game, and yesterday he certainly gave them all the reason in the world to feel that way. Well, enjoy the rest, the next six months of your life watching <laughs> games every day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Mark. I just want to know, am I going to beat Phil's mom? Because really, that was my only objective coming into this tournament. Uh, wait, let Michael I'll text, look I'll it text up. you after this. I have and to pull it up. You. All right. <laughs> we'll take a break. We come back with Chuck Culpepper, and we get into the final four. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is King Dream. This is a song called You and Me Versus the Human Race. You can listen to it in its entirety after the show, or just skip to it right now. Michael, if people like uh, King Dream want to send in their original music, or their uncles do, how do they do it? Please send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com, and Fine San is safe in the middle. Uh, he's in uh, tied for 13th with uh, Forty and Bob Ryan, ahead of Phil's mom. Who's, is Spike Braun winning? Uh, Spike has, Spike has up? opened up a pretty good lead right now. Right. Carville's still in second. Okay. They never trust that algorithm. Carville would be just so great if he won this thing. He could tell Harry Melber. <laughs> he could tell Harry Melber. <laughs> Chuck Culpepper joins us now. We're going to talk about the Final Four. It is, at least to my mind, the oddest Final Four ever. There's a four, there's two fives and a nine. There's not a one, there's not a two, there's not a three. And there are two schools nobody's ever heard of. I mean, honest to God. Certainly nobody's ever heard of Florida Atlantic University in basketball. You may have heard of them in football, but never in basketball. And nobody knows San Diego State as a basketball program. Nobody. I mean, if you're talking about small West Coast schools, basketball powers, you begin and end with Gonzaga. You don't talk about San Diego State. What do you make of this? I mean, you, you cover this sport, you get to the end, and you look around and you go, who are these teams, right? Right. It's absolutely the oddest one. And I get, <clears throat> I get a kick out of the fact that 70, <clears throat> 75% of the teams are from cities that we all regard as not passionate enough about sports, Miami and San Diego. Yeah. <clears throat> and it makes me think of, um, you know, is cold weather related to passion in sports? All the, all the fan bases we've noted for losing for a long time and suffering were in 
you know, Red Sox, Cubs, That's Lions, right. Browns. Yeah. You know, and so we we look at Buffalo. Miami as not yeah. caring, you know, and FAU's senior night drew 3,100 fans, and Miami's senior night drew 7,900, which isn't very many, so... It's really strange, this Final Four. Yeah, let me tell this. I've, I've, I've quoted this before. Miami cares so little about basketball that right after their greatest player ever, Rick Barry, they simply dropped basketball. Um, it's football school. FAU, I don't know what it is. I just thought it was a junior college until a couple of years ago. And San Diego State, you got to be kidding me. I mean, if everybody who lives in San Diego, they don't care about anything because the weather is always great. <laughs> Right. All the time. Three of the schools, this always makes me happy to say it. Three of the schools have I-95 running right through it, which kills Wilbon, which is why he's decided he hates this Final Four. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, Chuck, and this, this really is, has gone not underreported, but it, this is an amazing thing. Either Florida Atlantic or San Diego State is going to play for the national title on Monday. One of those yes, two schools is going to play. <clears throat> And what if it's Florida Atlantic against Miami? Nobody thinks of, you know, last year we had a humongous Final Four game between Duke and North Carolina. Yeah. And everybody thought that was rational, you know, that even though it had never happened before in the tournament, but it was a basketball hotbed area. And, I mean, if this final is between Miami and Florida Atlantic. Who's watching? you got, like, pink flamingos at courtside <laughs> and... uh stuffed manatees and i don't know it's going to be really deeply strange um i i think that the tv ratings will suffer no matter who's in the final because one of those two teams brings nobody with them absolutely nobody florida atlantic and and san diego state and if uconn at least (laughs) has a basketball history but if you put miami in there there's I, I mean, I, I'm looking at plunging ratings, you know, relative to the normal Final Four, right? Yes, and it shows that this old hypothesis is true, which is we love the upsets in the tournament, but we love to pat them on the head and send them away in like the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight. Yeah. And then we like our Final Four to be full of kingdoms that we're used to watching and have giant fan bases and make the ratings, you know, soar. Um, often, because it's an easy thing to do, and I was guilty of it a number of times, often in the run-up to the Final Four and then the final game, you write columns and stories on coaches. Two of these coaches are utterly unknown. People know Jim Laranega. He brought a team to the Final Four. And people know Danny Hurley because that's the Hurley name. People know that. These other two guys could be bagging groceries. Nobody <laughs> knows who they are. Do they stay where they are? Dutcher's not a young man. Do they stay where they are? Or do you think they parlay this? They do the Andy Enfield and they just, you know, go someplace else. I think Dutcher stays where he is because he was an assistant there to Steve Fisher for a long, long time. Yeah. So I'll, I'd be surprised if he, if he left. He didn't get his first head coaching job in, until his late 50s. So. Mm-hmm. I would think he would stick around. Dusty May, I would expect, just from you know what we know about coaches for so many years, I would expect him to go somewhere at some point. Although, like uh, Shaka Smart and and Larry Nega himself, this is in the past. And let's see, uh, Porter Moser from Loyola Chicago, they had the run 
and then they waited a few more years before they picked their place that they wanted to go. So it might be like that. Dusty May might end up being like that, you know. And I was in Columbus where they were playing the first two rounds, and in between the uh, the two rounds, they have locker room access. And I went in there, and I was the only reporter in there, which is <laughs> so <laughs> weird. You know, they all look at you like you're the oddball in there, and you know. And it, but I asked if Coach May was there, and there he was, like in the in the back. I don't know, working on game plan or something. He just popped out and talked to me for 10 minutes. And, you know, he did look like just maybe he would be sort of a, a, either an assistant or a booster or I don't know. He did, he, there was no fame to his face at all at that point. I, I will say this as somebody who's named Kornheiser, and I appreciate what a silly name that is. <laughs> Dusty May is an absurd name. I mean, it's just, it's like, it reminds me of Ellie May in the Clampets. <laughs> it's like absurd. <laughs> Dusty May. It's just absurd. You know, you can't, like, I'm trying to envision hiring him and a school chancellor, the AD, says, and now here's Dusty May. And you expect somebody to come out with a broom and dance, right? I mean, it's absurd, right, right Chuck? Well, when I, I when I first looked it up and heard it, I, I did sort of have that thought, yes. Yeah. And uh, I think he might, maybe he'll change the name Dusty May for all those who have it, maybe. Maybe. And he will... Uh, He'll make it into something that years down the line is kind of normal, but it does have it does have its connotations that are far away from I don't know names like Bob Knight, for example. Even though he was Bob Knight's student manager, yeah, that's right. Even though he that's was right. Knight's student manager, one basketball school, University of Connecticut, one. That's it. One basketball school run by a Hurley. Um, a volatile. The the family is volatile, you know. They but Danny Hurley, Bobby Hurley got the gift of being able to play. You know, he's been okay as a coach, but nothing great. Not really. Although I guess at Buffalo he was pretty good. But Danny Hurley seems to be kissed by the gods in terms of being a coach, does he not? He does. And it it makes you think about, you know, the sort of the how being a great player and being a great coach are two entirely different things and how, I don't know, maybe there is, there is some sort of logic there that, you know, that players who were, who had six senses like Bobby Hurley did when he played for Duke um, have trouble sort of transmitting whatever they learned to players. Whereas guys who had to kind of toil and study and work in a different way, you know, maybe they're the, maybe they're the better coaches in general it, yeah, I think about when Larry Bird went to coach the Pacers and did really well. He did better than, than almost any superstar has ever done. Yeah. Right, right. And, but he didn't last long. He didn't want to do it. And Bill Russell did well, you know, did, yeah. as a coach. Well, he co- got to coach and himself. As a player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he could write his own name into the lineup. That, that sort of helped you. Yeah. You know, that, that but helps. But it is rare. Yeah. It is um, rare. It's rare that they want to do it. It's rare that they're good at it. Kevin McHale was okay. And Kevin McHale's a Hall of Fame player. But by and large, their problem, it's the Magic Johnson problem, is like they don't understand why you aren't as good as they are. Yeah. It came, I'm not saying it came easily to them, but their skill level was so high, they don't really understand why yours isn't. And this happens, I think, in in all sports. It feels like, by the way, we should celebrate. I know you wrote about Larry It feels like we should celebrate him. He has taken real long shots. Like, 
17 guys have taken two or more teams to the Hall of Fame. And nobody has taken longer shots, not, not to the Hall of Fame, to the Final Four. Nobody's taken longer shots than Larry Nagel, right? Absolutely. Think about, I feel like, you know, he's 73. And think about when Mike Krzyzewski got to 73 and Jim Beheim got to 73. We already had really clear understandings of who they were That's and right. what they were about and why they were good. I feel like we're still gathering information on Larinaga at 73. And his point guard from his first George Mason teams, I think Tremaine Price coaches in high school in Bowie, Maryland. Now he, he was telling me this week that uh, he's noticed that they played under a system at George Mason, whereas Miami players, because there's more of that eye-popping talent like Isaiah Wong, that they play more freely and are allowed to. So he's adapted. Uh, Larinaga has adapted, and he's he's built this. I guess you'd say it's an eccentric resume, given our understanding of college basketball. But it's just incredible that 17 years apart, and it is George Mason in Miami. I feel like that might be for me the foremost thing about this Final Four is how we can how people can maybe come to appreciate him if they watch, appreciate no, him more. He'll probably make the Hall of Fame now, and he should make the Hall of Fame. He's also yeah. got. He's also mining the NIL deal better than just about everybody, right? That's right, yes. And they've, they, as a school, they've done that better than just about everybody. You know, they played Texas A&M in football last year, and we were all calling that the NIL Bowl. Yeah. You know, and, and those were the two schools who had sort of latched on to it the most quickly. And Miami now, when you factor in the basketball is probably the NIL champion of the country. Women's as well. Yes. Women's as well. I mean, hey, look, this is Miami. Uh, people are going to spend freely. Um, this is the way it works now. You want to play somewhere where you can make money? Go play at Miami. I mean, I, you know, it apparently left a bad taste in Jim Beheim's mouth, but, but to me, Chuck, that, these are the rules we operate under. Dean Smith was famous for understanding the rules better than anybody else. Maybe Larinaga does too. Well, and actually, Larinaga was got a reputation as being really good with transfer players, especially guards, before NIL started up. So now, when you throw in that, you know, NIL, when it dovetails with transferring and the transfer yep. portal, yep. he's all the better. Yeah, and it, I agree completely. It's within the rules, and it should have been within the rules for a hundred and some years. The scandal is not the way that it's happening now. The scandal is the way that it happened for the hundred and some years that preceded now. The players created all the revenue opportunity yeah. for everybody but the players. It's ridiculous. Now, yeah. I look, I don't like the way it works now. It's, it's too weird for me, but I appreciate the fact that the players need to get something out of this. They need to. Who you got in this thing? Ultimately, who do you think wins it? I think Connecticut wins it. And, I, and think about it, that would be their fifth title since 99. It would be at least two more than anybody else has. Duke and Carolina have three each, and I think it's it says something about Connecticut that kind of they they always get into these Final Fours unexpectedly, and they always or not always unexpectedly, but many of the, their runs have been, and many of them they've landed in these kind of unusual Final Fours. And here's another one: they've been the team in the tournament who you kind of look at them and go, oh, "That's the one right there." The way they're playing, I just have a hard time seeing them losing. They've won games by like 25 points. They're yeah. killing people. Yeah. They're they, killing people. 
you know. killed Gonzaga, but what they did to Arkansas kind of stunned me. You know, that's not a wasn't a great team, but a very good one and a tough one, and doesn't get thrown around eighty eight to sixty five on you know many occasions. Gonzaga, then they destroyed them too. So yeah, yeah, they're 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 the one you look at, you point to them and say, okay, that's the one. Well, enjoy and thank you, and we will chat soon. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you so much, Tony. Chuck Culpepper, boys and girls. He's a great writer. He's a great writer. Uh, We'll take a break. Come back. Email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. be able to play the piano like this. No, really, seriously. Here comes Tony Mailbag Got your emails Your faxes And notes Here comes Mr. Tony Mailbag Gonna read some For all of you folks Have mercy You could entertain yourself, you could entertain your friends, you could entertain your family. Playing piano like that, tremendous. Thank you to Bruce Griffin for that. Bethesda Bagels. Yes. Hot Bagels. Hot Bagels again today. Yeah. Happy about that. Yeah. Bethesda Bagels, uh, you'll love them, we love them. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say, kid, the next time I say let's go someplace like Bolivia, let's go someplace like Bolivia. The next scene is the 87 Bullets. <laughs> Thanks to our guests today, Mark Feinsand, Chuck Culpepper. Thanks to our sponsors today, Simply Safe and Game Time. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It's officially spring opening days behind us. I believe we will have the code TK Blossom set up with our friends Ooh, at Johnny O. We didn't make great. we didn't make the cut for the Friends Tournament in North Carolina, yeah, but we'll see not? how we do next hmm. year. Why didn't we make that cut? Not sure. I'm going to look into it. And Could this you is ask a, John? This I is mean, a reminder. We took John to play. <laughs> I will. This is a reminder that uh, for all of our golf fans, the final round of the Augusta National Women's Amateur will be on NBC Saturday, April 1st. Let's see uh, Rose Zhang make history. She has a five-shot lead going to the final round. She won here, and by here, I mean Columbia. She also wow. won at Woodmont. She won at Woodmont as well. She won, won, the, the, she won the AM. AM before the junior. Yeah. Oof. She won the AM, then she won the junior. Now she could win. This Augusta. is the, wow. the missing piece. This is from Stanley Daniel. This is very, very long. Is it worth it? I think it's worth it. Dr. Stanley, Stanley Daniel in Louisville, Kentucky. Not being a statistician, I can only presume that the odds of this event approach impossible. When I consider it, I wonder if it only occurred due to some cosmic wormhole, a glitch in the space-time continuum, or possibly it's just one of those things. While in medical school, circa 2003, I accompanied a small group to go rock climbing within a couple of hours from Birmingham, Alabama. My true purpose was to flirt with another student and was a bit disappointed when we didn't share the back seat for the trip. Mm. Instead, I shared the seat with a friend of hers whom I didn't know. 
He and I chatted amiably for a while, and eventually we began to discuss the CD collection found in the back of the car. If you recall at this time, many people had binders filled with CDs in order to make one's music collection portable. As a teen and a young adult, it was a delight to peruse such musical collection, showering both praise and derision on someone's <laughs> musical taste. Great. But I digress. We flipped through the re reflective discs, possibly even playing some, and we came upon Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell. Loving the album, I immediately requested that we play Jimmy Steinman's 14-time platinum masterpiece, only to be met with severe resistance. Mm. Some in the car hated the album. It was at this point in the conversation, turned to the merits of Meatloaf. And so the conversation went on for at least the next hour. I argued for the genius and grandeur of the album. Other argue, others argued it was overblown and annoying. I don't recall how persuasive I was, but I kept the conversation going, and I believe I even managed to subject the car to paradise by the dashboard light as we neared Sand Rock, our climbing destination. Well, I don't recall many of the conversation's details, though I distinctly remember expressing my love of Meatloaf's other big album, released in the 90s when I was in high school, and bemoaned its absence from the driver's collection. We arrived excitedly, hiked to the rocks, and began setting up gear with our Meatloaf conversation quickly forgotten. For my first climb, I opted to lead, <clears throat> a section, lead up a section where there was no set route, meaning there were no particular spots to hook the climbing rope, and I had to place the protective equipment as I climbed. While it wasn't a particularly difficult climb, there was no certain, certainty anyone had ever gone exactly that way before. I was somewhere between 30 and 50 feet from the ground and about three quarters from the top when I found it. It was sitting there perfectly intact, albeit slightly damp, as if it had sat out the night before. It was just there on an eight-inch ledge of sandstone, dozens of feet from the ground in a clear jewel case. The compact disc of Meatloaf and Jimmy Steinman's Bat Out of Hell 2. Back into hell. Obviously, this was a prank. I looked down and my companions were just chatting amongst themselves and preparing to make their first climbs. I looked to my right. I saw another climber, a stranger, about 15 feet away and asked if they knew anything about this Meatloaf CD. Giving me a perplexed look, they assured me they did not, but offered their congratulations on my find. Tucking the mysterious object into my harness, I rappelled down to confront my group and to ascertain just how they pulled off this brilliant thing. I was met with nothing but disbelief and was actually accused of somehow pulling the joke myself. I remember literally nothing that followed the rest of the day other than feeling awed by this extraordinary coincidence. In the many years since, I don't know what happened to that miraculous disc. The girl on whom I had a crush and I dated for some time but eventually parted ways. I no longer go rock climbing. Jimmy Steinman left us as did Meatloaf. Somehow, by some peculiar happenstance, after a fairly random yet extensive conversation about an album released over 30 years earlier, I found on the side of the rock in the middle of nowhere, Alabama, um, its follow-up album that itself had been released a decade before. There are still nights when the moon is half full and the wind rustles the leaves. It's those nights when sleep is evasive <laughs> that I sit up and I wonder how. More importantly, I wonder why. I Wonder Why is a great song by Dion and the Belmonts, by the way, oh, yes. in case the doc didn't know that I would know that. From Murray Moman. Is that it? Moman? Moman. Uh, rhymes with Roman. Murray Moman. Winnipeg. Hearing about Tim Kirchin's seized engine experience on Wednesday got me thinking about something I haven't <laughs> recalled for a long time. In 1984, I was 20 years old and like Tim, was and still am not a big car guy. I had a manual transmission Dodge Colt. That Christmas, my grandpa uh, bought my younger brother an old beater of some kind, fixed it up, and as I was going home for Christmas break, asked me to drive it to him. I lived and was going to the University of, uh, and going to university in Winnipeg, and my brother was just graduating from high school in Olds, um, in another province in Canada, between El uh, Calgary and Edmonton. Given road conditions and minus 30 degrees Celsius. That's chilly. Whoa. Yeah, that's Minus chilly. 30 degrees Celsius temperature. This was going to be a long two-way drive. 
So I picked up the car from the bus lot. He fixed and sold school buses. And yes, one of my summer jobs was spent cleaning said school buses, not to mention shoveling horse manure when living in Olds as a high school student. He said it's in perfect condition. Off I went. Almost immediately after exiting the lot, I heard a slight knocking noise coming from under the hood. Hmm. Weird, I thought, but my grandpa said the car was fine. So I chalked it up to just being an old beater. I left Winnipeg by the time I got to Portage La Prairie, about an hour from Winnipeg, with the engine still knocking. I pulled into a gas station to see what was up. The attendant asked if I needed any help, and of course I said, no, I got this. I checked the fluid, all was well. Onward I went. I was going to overnight at my uncle's place in Swift Current, Saskatchewan. Uh, in total, about a nine to ten hour drive on day one as I continued along the knocking persisted. Stupid car, I thought. By about 6 p.m., 30 minutes out of Swift Current. <laughs> I just love that phrase, Swift, 30 minutes out of Swift Current. <laughs> The knocks get louder, followed by a bang. Uh-oh. I got the car over to the side of the road as quick as I could. It was dark. It was minus 30. Even though I was on Canada's number one highway that goes coast to coast, it was in the middle of Saskatchewan. Fortunately, a driver did stop and pick me up after two blew past me, thanks very much, and took me to my uncle's in Swift Current. The next day, we went to his mechanic. I told him what happened and where the car was. They went out and brought it back. A couple of hours later, we met with the mechanic. The engine is seized. How's that possible? I checked the fluid early in the day. Show me. He said, so I do. He said, that's not for transmission fluid. That's for your engine oil. There are two dipsticks? Remember, I only had driven a stick shift until then. There was one dipstick in a stick shift. When I called my grandpa with the news, let's just say he was not very pleased. And the name dipstick stuck, stuck until his dying days. Parts of the details here may be confusing as I'm still clueless with cars. Thanks for reading this far if you have. Cheers. It's very, very nice. From Steve in Forest Hills, Queens. So is this the new game? The best bagel in Queens come from Forest Hills Bagels on the corner of Queens Boulevard and 69th Road. A long lob shot away from the old West Side Tennis Club. Grubhub reported in 2021 they were the third busiest, busiest bagel shop in the entire city. It's no surprise. The everything bagels are heavenly. And Mr. Texas Bagel Guy, don't go to gotta get a bagel on Continental. Ever since they changed ownership, it isn't the same. They swear it's the same recipes and machines, but something seems off. Yeah. The company I work for is based in L.A., and every few years they try to lure me out there with such novelties like sunshine and people talking to you in the grocery store <laughs> wall. My response is the same every time. What? And leave the bagels and pizza behind? No chance. <laughs> From Jared Nan on the Gold Coast in Australia, my eldest non-masculine child, completed her first ever school cross-country race this week, where she came in a respectable 24th. Surrounded by family and friends, I excitedly proclaimed, well, at least you made the top 20, huh? <laughs> Eagerly awaiting a congratulatory lachiserie. <laughs> I was instead met with the deafening sounds of tumbleweed, so I guess the connective tissue of the show is yet to make it to my particular corner of the earth. I'm still waiting for the specific sinew of Buster Olney's youth bagel-making exploits to reach me as well, so I will just hang up and listen. Not From Shad, a haiku. Certainly not the worst. Five and eleven. Never ever know. Little alliteration. Bagel boy Buster. And from Patrick Sitter, Sitter in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, who emails us a lot. Yes. Buster like Bagels and Baseball. Sounds like a title for a Dan Burns song. He's probably working on it already. John Barnes, Omaha, Nebraska. I enjoyed your recent discussion on New York style bagels. I wonder if you have any thoughts on New York style pizza. If you're out on your bike, time to everyone as always do wear white. Good evening, thank you for filling these seats tonight. 